Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and guess what? I guess, according to the calendar, it is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and that's some of my favorite couple hours of the week. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Dr. Greg Borgon. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Good Thanks to be here. Right. Good afternoon, Bill. Any news we should be aware of? I'm looking in your direction, Jeff Verdorn. It is a very special day in the well, Verdorn tell me, house. What is that? What it's is my that? wife's birthday today. Well, congratulations! Yeah, so maybe just a quick happy birthday from the guys that guy talk. What are we? What are we gonna do? Just we're say happy gonna birthday. Sing. We're not gonna sing. I don't know. We should sing, but no, just say happy birthday. Here we go. Happy One, birthday! Two, happy birthday! Happy, happy birthday. birthday! Happy birthday! All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know there was gonna be sound effects. It's a whole crowd here. We love it. Yeah. All right, we're going to try something new on Guy Talk today. But anyway, in the meantime, get your questions headed this direction: eight seven seven nine three three. 2484, again, 877-933-2484. And today we're going to try something, which I'm going to call a deep dive. We're going to take a topic and we're going to spend all of 30 minutes doing a deep dive where we're going to have um, a little bit of discussion on one topic. We're going to talk for about 15 minutes and then we're going to open up for uh, questions from you. So today's topic is on the expression, what does it mean? What does the Bible say when the Bible says, do not judge? Yes. Is that just an excuse to get somebody off your back? I'm going to turn to Dr. Greg Borgon and let him get us started. Yeah, I thought uh, as, as I looked at this subject and did some research, I thought it would be helpful to share um, some comments, uh, I, I think, from one of the best articles I've ever read on this subject, in which I totally agree with. Uh, so the question is, what does the Bible mean when it says, do not judge? Jesus' command not to judge others could be probably the most widely quoted of his sayings, even though it's almost invariably quoted in complete disregard of the context. Here is Jesus' statement, quote, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, Matthew 7, 1. Many people use this verse in an attempt to silence their critics, interpreting Jesus' meaning as, You don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. Taken in isolation, Jesus' command, do not judge, does indeed seem to preclude all negative assessments. However, there's, a much, uh, more to the, there's much more to the passage than those three words. The Bible's command that we not uh, judge others does not mean we cannot show discernment. Immediately after Jesus says, do not judge, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls uh, to pigs, Matthew 7, 6. And a little later in the same sermon, he says, watch out for false prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them in verses 15 and 16. So how are we to discern who are the dogs and the pigs and the false prophets unless we have the ability to make a judgment call on the doctrines and deeds? Jesus has given us permission to tell right from wrong. Also, the Bible's command that we not judge others does not mean all actions are equally moral or that truth is relative. The Bible clearly teaches that truth is objective, eternal, and inseparable from God's character. 
Anything that contradicts the truth is a lie. But, of course, to call something a lie is to pass judgment. To call adultery or murder a sin is likewise to pass judgment. But it's also to agree with God. When Jesus said not to judge others, he did not mean that no one can identify sin for what it is based on God's definition of sin. And the Bible's command that we not judge others does not mean there should be no mechanism for dealing with sin. The Bible, as a whole book and, uh, entitled Judges, the judges in the Old Testament were raised by God himself, Judges 2.18. The modern judicial system, including judges, is a necessary part of our society. In saying, do not judge, Jesus was not saying anything goes. Elsewhere, Jesus gave direct command to judge. This is important. This verse is, is pretty strong um, support of this. John 7.24 says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Here we have a clue as to the right type of judgment versus the wrong type. Taking this verse and with some others, we can put together a description of the sinful type of judging. First of all, uh, superficial judging is wrong. Passing judgment on someone based solely on appearances is sinful, John 7, 24. It's foolish to jump to conclusions before investigating the facts, Proverbs 18, 13. Simon the Pharisee passed judgment on a woman based on her appearance and reputation, but he could not see the woman had been forgiven. Simon thus drew Jesus' rebuke for his unrighteous judgment in Luke chapter 7, 36-50. Hypocritical judgment is wrong. Jesus' comment to uh, judge others in Matthew 7, 1 is preceded by comparison to hypocrites in Matthew 6, 2, verses 5 and 16 as well, and followed by warning against hypocrisy in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. When we point out the sin of others, while we ourselves commit the same sin, we condemn ourselves, Romans 2, 1. The third, harsh, unforgiving judgment is wrong. We are always to be gentle towards everyone, according to Titus 3, 2. It's the merciful who will be shown mercy, Matthew 5, 7. And as Jesus warned, in the same way, you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Matthew 7, 2. Self-righteous judgment is wrong. We are called to humility, and God opposes the proud, James 4, 6. And Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee, was confident in his own righteousness, and from that proud position, <clears throat> judged the publican. However, God sees the heart and refused to forgive the Pharisee's sin in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Finally, untrue judgment is wrong. The Bible clearly forbids bearing fault witness, Proverbs 19, 5, slander no one, Titus 3, 2. So, Christians are often accused of judging or intolerance when they speak out against sin, but opposing sin is not wrong. Holding aloft the standard of righteousness naturally defines unrighteousness and draws the slings and arrows of those who choose sin over godliness. John the Baptist incurred the ire of Herodias when he spoke out against her adultery with Herod in Mark 6, 18 through 19. She eventually silenced John, but she could not silence the truth, Isaiah 48. Finally, believers are warned against judging others unfairly or unrighteously, but Jesus commends right judgment, John 7, 24. We are to be discerning, Colossians 1, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. We are to preach the whole counsel of God, including the Bible's teaching on sin, Acts 20, 27, and 2 Timothy 4, 2. 
And we are to gently confront erring brothers and sisters in Christ, Galatians 6, one. We are to practice church discipline, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. We are to speak the truth and love, Ephesians 4, 15. Thank you for that, Dr. Greg Borgon. All right, gentlemen, anything we can continue to discuss regarding do not judge? Yeah, I think one of the distinctions that, Greg, that you made were these kind of two categories of judging. Mm-hmm. And when when I discuss judging, I like to point out that, that there's this is often kind of uh, shown as an apparent contradiction in Scripture. Jesus says, do not judge, but Paul comes along and says that uh, the spiritual man makes judgment about all things. So are we supposed to judge or are we not supposed to judge? In your article that that you went through, it talks about kind of hypocritical judging versus good judging or rightly judging or rightly discerning. And I think that discerning part is the key because one of the things that is helpful is to go to the Greek word for judging, and to judge, and it's the Greek word krino, mm-hmm. and it can have two different definitions. All right, here comes the rub. The first definition to judge is to condemn. Mm-hmm. The second definition of krino, the Greek word krino, is to discern. And so are we to condemn? No, we're not to condemn. But are we to discern? Yes, we are to discern. In fact, there's a, an, another related word where the definition to crino, it's anacrino, and it means to interrogate, to determine, to ask, to question, to examine, to judge. Are Christians to do that? Yes, we are. In the article, you're talking about looking at sin and people's sin and pointing out to your brother that they are sinful and so on. So is a Christian to judge, condemn? No. But is a Christian to judge and, and discern? The answer is Yes. So, in fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6 to say, don't you know that saints will judge, crino, condemn, the world? One day, the world stands condemned already, and one day we will judge the world. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6 that we will even judge angels, right? Mm-hmm. The fallen angels, I believe that's a reference to, yeah. meaning to condemn the lost, to condemn the, the fallen angels. But that's a future day. For, the, for us to condemn the unbelieving world. Today is not the day of judgment. Today is not the day of condemnation. But the, today is the day of salvation. Mm-hmm. The world stands condemned already. Don't condemn the world. Offer them the words of life. What about within the church? Well, Paul says that we should judge those within the church to discern, right? To mm-hmm. examine, to test. To all protect. The, yeah. To protect all those good things. But not to condemn Romans 8, 1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's how I see judging. We're not to condemn either the lost world or believers. Believers are not under condemnation. Unbelievers are, but not today. Mm-hmm. And we are supposed to judge, to discern, to examine. And that's the good judging versus the bad condemning judging. I've always come in with stories, because being a pastor, I've seen these things over and over. Um, when you see somebody in the church or a friend doing something that doesn't look right, most of us gravitate back to do not judge so we don't say anything. And then everything goes haywire in their life, and we hmm. wonder, huh, what was going on? A friend of mine told me about it. He was, this was many years ago, he was west of the Twin Cities, he was at a Perkins for breakfast, and uh, he was on a business trip. He's a leader in his church. As he's sitting there, all of a sudden, he sees his pastor. 
way across at another table with a young woman. And he's holding the young woman's hand. And they're talking very affectionately to one another. Well, he knew the pastor. He knew the pastor's wife. He, he knew the pastor's kids. He knew something was right. He went home and he said, I, I, I don't know what I should do. I, this is really tough. How would I handle this? And then finally on Sunday, he said to the pastor at the end of the service, I, I think I need to talk to you. And if you have time, I'd like to do it today. Pastor said, well, let's go to my office. And he said, uh, Pastor, on Wednesday, I was west of the Twin Cities at a Perkins, and I saw you there with a young woman, and the pastor almost collapsed on the floor. And the pastor said, you, you, you did? Yeah, and I saw you holding her hand. Now, I don't want to jump on you, but you're a good preacher of the gospel, and I would hate to lose you and I'd eat your family. What's going on here? And he said, well, you know, my wife and I have not been getting along. I've got a rebellious son, and I'm stupid. I have I've I met this woman and she's kind and and we decided to have breakfast last Wednesday. But I've been asking the Lord, Lord help me. I don't know how to get out of this because it feels good. I like it. I haven't had this affection a long time. And so they prayed together and as the guy got up to leave, the pastor grabbed him and said, I think the Lord just used you to save my life and my ministry mm-hmm. and this church because this gal and I had a meeting tonight at a hotel. Mm. Oh. I'm now going to call and break it off. Mm. And he did. Mm. Wow. All right. We're doing a deep dive today on what the Bible says, uh, what it, when it says, do not judge. What does that mean? What does yeah. the Bible say? We're learning about that. And if you have a question or comment about what we've discussed so far, we want to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We're so glad they're here today, and we're so glad you're listening. Be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Welcome to Guy Talk. So glad that my power panel is sitting around the studio today. Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, Greg Borgon. We're doing a little bit of a new experiment just called the Deep Dive. We want to take one topic and just spend 30 minutes on it, and then we're going to get back to your questions. You can start sending them over right now, 877-933-2484. But we want to pick a number of questions that come up regularly, and this is one of them, what the Bible means when it says, do not judge others. Now, Greg gave a a lovely uh, interpretation of what Scripture says, that we need to uh, be discerning, and Jeff added some great uh, comments. Tom told a great story. So, gentlemen, how else should we uh, walk through this? What else would you like to talk about? It's a huge congregational issue for Christians, uh, because Christians read the Scriptures or hear that verse, and they really don't know how to put it to work. We have to help them be practical with it. And I think for many of them, 
speaking up at all when something's wrong or something doesn't look right appears to them to be stepping over the boundaries and violating what Jesus said. On the other hand, the pastors, the leaders in the church that I know that are the most successful are the same pastors and leaders who are the ones who are open to being criticized, to being asked questions, to even about looks and how they do things. And I think that's a very healthy thing to do. Now, where you don't want to be judging people is where you're condemning them. You know, you're always looking for a way to redeem people. And if we can redeem in in our judgment, that's what the Lord wants. And that's always the goal. So uh, I think it's a real issue for the modern church. uh, And I think most Christians struggle with knowing what to do with it. I think of the King James Version of that Matthew 7, verse 1, when judge not that ye be not judged, right? It's like, okay, if you judge, you're going to be judged. And everybody kind of interprets that as, oh, you Christians, you're just too judgy. You're yeah, always too self-righteous. Ju- yeah, you're you're too self-righteous. You're you're constantly judging people. And in a way, if you use the definition of judging as condemning, in a way, we are. I think the church is too condemning of people. Sure. Why should we expect the lost world to act anything but lost? They stand under God's condemnation right now. What they need is the gospel truth and salvation that comes through belief in Christ. So instead of judging, condemning, we should be offering them the, the words of salvation. And even in the church, we I think we do a lot of condemning of other believers within the church in a, in a way that Scripture doesn't support. What we should be doing is the judging, the crino, the discerning judging, that that we are called to. So you 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 see you see this for example. I got a couple other verses. Romans fourteen says, "Who are you to judge someone else's servant?" Well, which definition of crino is that? It's condemning, right? It's who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Who who Romans two one? You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on on someone else. This is the condemning kind of judgment that I think we shouldn't do. But all of the good judging the discerning, the examining, the testing of the spirits to pointing out the brother's sin as Tom's story powerfully did and ch- and confronting people with it, that's the kind of judging the church should be doing. Yeah, and, it, and it's not foreign to a secular mindset either. When you take a look at something like Bloom's taxonomy, the higher cognitive levels of understanding and knowledge, the very last one is called evaluation. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea is you get to a point where um, you're evaluating a situation. That's what discernment is. You're you're drawing a conclusion without, as you point out, Jeff, and, and same thing with you, Tom, without condemning because that's not your prerogative. The same thing um, is is true even in, it, for instance, Myers-Briggs, personality temperament, talks about the last letter, like there are four letters, you know, like I'm an INTJ, let's say. Um, it's judging um, or perceiving, the J or the P. The judging that, that Myers-Briggs talks about is getting to a point where you've evaluated the information, you have enough information so you can make a decision on how to act. So it, it's, it's a corollary to me. So evaluation, discernment without condemnation, you're not drawing it to conclusion. Mm-hmm. You're, you're bringing uh, truth to, uh, to, to light without shaming and it, we talked about the danger of, of judging that shames at the same time and draws a conclusion and writes somebody off. God's not done with you yet. And we can't be, even in a discernment, come to that conclusion at all either. 
God's not finished yet, and that's up to the Lord to go ahead and work with that situation. One of the things that I've seen as a pastor is that you've got people in your church who basically don't want anybody telling them what to do, even if they're in charge of a ministry. No. They, oh, honest. No. I know you don't realize that's not, that. That can't but be true. But it does happen. And so they're resistant, and they're they're very quick to grab onto these verses. They're very hard to talk to, too. I mean, it, it's not an easy thing. However, when they get in trouble in their marriage, in their business, in their health, it is amazing to me how those same people will come and be start to become very open and let you begin to probe deeply into the life to try to help them because now they're desperate. And they're I looking for discernment. They are looking for discernment, and they don't have it. You're exactly right. And that's exactly what we want to be doing. One of the things I try to do with people, especially in counseling with them, uh, I'm very reluctant to prescribe right away anything for what they tell me. I'm more interested in listening to what they have to say. And under my breath, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, open my mind. Help Mm -hmm. me to discern what's going on here. And there have been times, and I'm dead serious, where I have looked somebody in the eye and I have said, okay, Greg, um, I've heard what you've said, but I think you need to deal with... uh, Well, tell me if this is true. When you were in junior high, something happened to you during the summer, and it's really been hard on you. Is that true or not? I've watched people go pale in front of me, absolutely pale, and say, how did you know? Well, I don't know what it is. It's just the sense I get, and I I say, tell me if this is true or not. And I felt led by the Lord. And oftentimes, they begin to open up. And in those cases, I hear stories I wasn't looking for in the first place. People are hurting. And even Christians who have salvation are still hurting people emotionally, and we have a tendency to hurt one another. So my greatest counsel with judge not lest you be judged is simply this. You want right judgment. You don't want false judgment. And the only way you get right judgment is to spend time and to listen to people. Why would you go to a psychotherapist if you're not looking for discernment? Because you haven't come to the correct conclusion of whatever problem that you're struggling with, and you need assistance from somebody else. And it's a shame that we only look for discernment when, as a last straw. And and like you said, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. But when we have no answers, we're looking for somebody who can make appropriate judgments about our circumstances, help us to ferret out what the truth of it is, and help us uh, come alongside of us, a guide by the side to, to help us move on from what's holding us back. What do you guys think when somebody tries to shut you down with, oh, I can't believe how judgy you're, you are right now. I can't, you're judging me. Yeah, when you they point out, when you, well, it's probably as it relates to sin. Yeah, right? of course. And of course. And so you, you, you're just the messenger in that case. This is, this is what God has proclaimed. God has his way and, and the world is acting contrary to, to God's design. Um, so he is the one who gets to define sin. We are just the messengers of that. Um, so, uh, you know, they can they will attack you, by the way, but never forget they're not attacking you. They're really attacking God and his word. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're looking for your questions, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, thank you for that little experiment and doing a deep dive. We I spent a, a, a good 30 minutes on that topic, and I think it was well time well spent. But we're looking for uh, lots of questions today, 877-933-2484. My power panel is Jeff, Tom, Greg. They're here ready to take your questions. We'll be right back in just a minute.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. It is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. And we're looking for your questions, 877-933-2484. If you just joined us, we tried a little first-time experiment of doing a deep dive on a topic. The whole idea of what the Bible teaches about judge not lest ye be judged. I Probably as a believer, you've heard some non-believer say to you, don't judge me. And we're just trying to do an understanding of what biblical, what's the biblical understanding of judge not lest ye be judged. So if you missed any of that, I think it's worth going back and listening. I always suggest going to the podcast and hearing it from the beginning. because I always think that's helpful to hear it in its entire context. All right. Um, let me ask you this. Are you guys open to course correction in your life? Oh, I, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you know, first of all, we're educated from the very beginning in our life to go ahead and define a destination and then make decisions that will guarantee that outcome. And so when we don't reach that destination or when we do reach it, it's not what we thought it was going to be. We wish somebody would have come alongside of us and helped us make a better decision along the way. In God's economy, it's not a matter of identifying a destination it's a matter of engaging the journey and leaving the destination to God because he'll take us to multiple places we have never been before. That opens us up, I think, Bill, to course correction. If we're willing to go ahead, if we're in the journey with Christ and he's alongside of us and we're making decisions based on what we see in front of us, that we ought to be open to those corrections because we want to end up in places that God wants us to end up and not in places that we have determined we need to be only to find out, gee, I wish I'd never gotten here. Yeah. I love that answer, Greg. Thank you. That's a good one. And what I like about it is this. When I came on this show many years ago, and what I love about it is that I came on and the Lord basically, I didn't hear a voice, but in my heart said, now you're going to share, you're going to learn. And so I come to learn from you guys. And quite honestly, you have helped. You haven't changed my biblical theology, anything dramatic. I mean, Jesus is still Lord. But there are little nuances that you've given me that I hadn't had before and I hadn't heard before and give me a new insight and a new approach. And actually, guys, I'll be honest, I put some of those things to work <laughs> in, in counseling and in preaching and teaching, and I've gotten very good responses. The The ones that didn't go well, I won't tell you about, but I mean, <laughs> they, they, they went well. And And I think that when we reach a point where our ego gets in the way, and I've learned everything, and I don't need to hear anything from anybody, then we're the most lost there are. You learn until the day you die. And my goal is to be a student of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his word until the day I die. You know, my mentor, uh, J. Robert Clinton, um, talked about the fact that there are certain characteristics of people who finish well. And he, along with his team, examined the lives of biblical leaders when there was enough information to determine how they finished and then historical leaders and contemporary leaders did over, you know, 3,500 case studies. And one of the characteristics of those who finish well are they are lifelong learners. Yeah. That they don't feel like they've arrived. They're in the process of becoming yet not having arrived. 
And so a characteristic of finishing well is to be a lifelong learner to your last breath. Mm. I've heard that commentators say that the Bible is infinitely deep. And I think I've forgotten more about the Bible than than I I remember. There's so so much depth there, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we can spend a lifetime. Some think we'll spend all of eternity understanding the nuances and the depth of God's word. That that sounds really fascinating to me. But I might I'm going to take a little minority view here, maybe. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, am I open to course correction? I guess it depends on who is, you know, offering the correction <laughs> and what they are correcting me Amen. on. No, I'm with you. That's not a minority opinion. That's right? a majority. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, there are some people who say, oh, I don't think you should do that or that or that. It's like, well, thanks for your opinion. And But, um, you know, look, I know where I'm going. God has a promise. We're, we have an eternity in store for us. We have an inheritance in store for us. If someone was to come and say, hey, you need to, you know, get off this whole Jesus thing and you're just a Bible thumper and whatever, and I'll, I, I'll say just thank you. No, right. I'm, I'm on this path and I'm sticking with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Greg is what Greg said is about being a lifelong learner. If there's ever someone who can show that, hey, this interpretation, this understanding, this way of looking at Scripture is off. I'm always open to look at that. And if someone can show me, hey, I think your conclusions are off because of X, Y, and Z, or this verse or that verse, or you haven't considered X, well then, yes, I'm always open to that. I could rattle off a half a dozen things that I thought I had settled in my mind about Scripture, but I've changed slightly because of other pieces of information that I either read someplace or were challenged by or whatever. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, I see that in a new light. I'm a a strong advocate of going to the Word of God as a preliminary by opening up our heart in prayer and say, Heavenly Father, what I'm about to read today, I don't know exactly what's in there, but I'm open to learn. Is there a command that I should follow? Is there a principle I should embrace? Is there a sin I should confess? I want you to know I'm open to hearing your still, small voice in my life because in listening for that still, small voice, it forces me to lean forward to hear it. So I'm going to be listening to what you want to teach me right now. That's an attitude of a lifelong learner, even on an individual basis, going to Scripture and opening yourself up, and you're actually revealing to yourself, because God knows whether or not you're a learner, but you're saying to yourself, I'm putting myself in a posture of learning here. I need to understand, I need to comprehend, I need to act on what I'm learning. And I think we want to take that just one step further. You're right on the money, and here's what I mean by that. We study the Word of God, not so that we become great theologians that have great intellectual insights and can answer questions nobody else can ask or answer. What we're trying to do is to know Jesus, to become more like him, to let our character come into shape with his, and to live thankful lives. I don't know any other way to do it, Greg. Or Jeff, accept that to go into the Word and let the Word speak to me. And how many times have you gone into the Word, read the same passage, you know, a thousand times, hmm. and all of a sudden today, it yeah. hits you differently? Yeah. You know, Proverbs says, the, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Yeah. Um, I try to surround myself with wise biblical counsel, yeah. and I try to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I've said before that if I want to be a person of influence, I probably need to be a person willing to be influenced. That's a great statement. And I think what I mean by that is if I want to share Christ with somebody and they say, well, I might be open to having a conversation, but I I like to go hiking up a mountain. You want to go with me? (laughs) I go, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But, But I'll tell you about Jesus. But maybe if I'm willing to be influenced to do that, I've got an opportunity then to get his attention. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, you, you, you know, building those bridges, those relational bridges with someone uh, and caring for them and, and loving them, genuinely loving them, by the way, not just with the goal that I'm going to try to save this person, therefore yeah. I'm going to love them, and when they don't, I'm going to stop loving them. I think that kind of phony love people can spot a mile away. But if you genuinely care for someone, they will recognize that. Yeah, if I asked people that were tuning in today, if you ever felt like you were treated as a project— Hmm. by a Christian, I bet I'd get an interesting response. Probably. You know, because I think we've all done that. And here's a guy that's unsaved and I'm going to take him on. I'll get him (laughs) saved. (laughs) Too often we think that we need to be sages on a stage when people really need a guide by the side um, to walk along with them for a certain portion of their journey. And, you know, to train ourselves and discipline ourselves to only answer the questions they're asking instead of regurgitating everything we know as soon as the door is open and then all we do is leave a stench and they don't want to have any more conversation with us. If we could train ourselves to simply answer the question they're asking. Oftentimes the conversation may seem superficial initially. It'll be a level one conversation. What about the weather? What about the Vikings? Or it might be a level two that says, I know somebody who, when you really mean yourself... And then eventually you get to the level three. Here's what I'm dealing with. The only way you gain that trust is making sure that you don't overwhelm somebody and you simply answer the questions they're asking and leave the conviction and the clarity to the Spirit of God who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment because it's not your job. Just be there to answer the question to the best of your ability. I think one of the greatest things we can give people as Christians is time. Spend time where you can. And sometimes that may be five minutes when you only have one, or it may be, you know, half a day when you're not expecting it. The point is, it is in that time frame that the Holy Spirit works. And too often, if I come in with the agenda, and Jeff, get this agenda now. I'm going to tell you what you need to know, and let's get it right, and I'm going to give you three minutes to make this right in your life, and I hope you repent. We have missed the point. We have intellectually approached the process where I may know the truth of the gospel, but my goal when I go talk to Jeff or Greg or or Bill or whatever, or let's say a non-Christian, is to listen enough to what the Holy Spirit is doing in that person's life because I found they will tell you. If you give people time, they will tell you their Mm -hmm. spiritual needs, whether they recognize they're saying that or not. And then it's an easy step to start asking them, would you ever like to find an answer? Mm -hmm. And I've been amazed how many people say, yes, I really would. So it's a good thing to do, and you're right. I agree. But it takes great patience to do that, and Tom, so I applaud you for that, because I know you do it as a, as a lifestyle in the lives of people, so I commend you for that. But that takes great patience, and so we have to develop that skill. That is one of the elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's like being married for 50 years. You learn patience. Or has my wife learned patience with me? <laughs> Maybe that's the way it works. All right. Starting in the hour, we talked about what the Bible teaches about judge not lest you be judged and question has come in is there not a passage in the bible that says not to judge on heavenly things however we are allowed to judge on earthly things well i think uh, i don't think of a i can't come up with a specific passage that says that but i think the theme or the tone of that question is absolutely spot on i think the heavenly things that we should not judge on is condemnation that is the, that's the God, God is the one who condemns. God is the one who determines who is saved and who is not saved by, by faith, obviously, in, in Christ. Those who do are saved, those who don't 
are not saved. So that those are the things that are heavenly, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, and then, and things of this earth. You know, Paul Paul talks about uh, actually to to uh, judging, discerning things within the church. Um, and and so yes, those are probably the earthly things. Are you not to judge, crino, discern those inside the church? God will judge those outside of the church, meaning crino, condemn. But we are to judge those who are inside the church, discern. So yes, I think if you wanted to say it that way, heavenly versus earthly, I think that's uh, actually fits within that model of what crino means in the Greek. I, I wish the church was more like a football team. I played football and coached for many years. And I, I was a linebacker, and then I, for a while I was a running back. Um, not a fast running back, but a running back. <laughs> the, the bottom line was I looked to my buddies to tell me what I was doing right and doing wrong, how to make it better. Tom, you missed the hole. Tom, you got to take one more step this direction. The coaches would do that too. And I found that if I listened to them, I got better. We need to be thinking about that in the church. You know, the good kind of judgment in the church is where we say to one another, you know, I I just when when you spoke to me, I felt like you were angry. I I don't think you were, but are you aware of that? Now I've had people do that with me because I'm very strong welder in what I say, and I've had to learn to back up. And you know what? I appreciate those people doing that. Now there are some people that will judge you, and they're not looking to redeem you. That's another matter. But those that are really trying to help, we need to do that with one another, and that's what the New Testament's about. People take the New Testament where it says love one another, serve one another, you know, take care of the poor. We always think that's out there in the world. It's predominantly in the church because yeah. that's how we love one another. Those are probably the people that have the plank in their own eye, right? Remember Jesus says before you work on getting the speck out of your brother's eye, take the plank out of your own. And uh, I think that's I think the church generally can be guilty of that. We're we're busy pointing fingers at everybody else saying, "Oh, look how they're living their lives and and what we should be examining is our own and making sure we get that plank out of our own eyes first. By the way, it's not wrong to let your brother know that he's got a speck in his eye, right? Mm-hmm. But first, make sure the plank is out of your own eye. You know, one of the points that you made earlier, Jeff, I think is worth uh, underscoring, and that is you have to be careful of whose counsel you're taking. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be discerning about who, you, who you're going to, to listen to. I think one of the helpful passages along these lines is Hebrews thirteen seven. It says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith uh, follow considering the outcome of their conduct. In other words, what that's saying is that when we we take a look at somebody's life, are they living a consistent life? Are they um, are they uh, living a, a holy life? Does their life bear the fruit of what they're teaching? I mean, that's good to know if, if you have that ability or that, that, that freedom to do that, but to take counsel from that. Now, sometimes God can use ungodly people to give you counsel. They're speaking truth to you, regardless of the vessel in which is delivering it. And so that's where we need to, as the Bereans, go back to Scripture and find out what's true and what's not true. I mean, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. I mean, that's why when we're even looking at this passage on judging— we looked at other scriptures to help us yep. understand yep. what's meant. We didn't cherry pick and pull one verse out of there because it seems so strong, and we often do that. 
because, frankly, some of us are just lazy about looking at what the rest of Scripture has to say about the subject. So that's hopefully what we were able to share with you folks, is that here's the other counsel of Scripture to give you a more robust understanding of what it means in terms of legitimately judging versus illegitimate judgment. Totally agree. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more guy talk. I have lots of good questions coming in, but uh, send yours over, 877-933-2484, and we'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. It is time for Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. My power panel today is Jeff, Tom, Greg. That's the lineup. We're happy to be here. It sounded like some kind of radio announcer. (laughs) Tom, Jeff, Greg. All right, Greg, I'm looking at you. This is a, um, you're going to, be the only one that answers this question, if that's okay. Because these guys have answered it in the past. I don't think you have. The question is, a close relative invited everyone to same-sex marriage. What would you say? If I was invited yes. to a same-sex marriage? Yes. Close relative. Close relative. Yep. Um, you know, here, here's here's the struggle, and I'll, then I'll tell you how I would respond. All right. The struggle is, all right, if, if I go... Am I lending support to a lifestyle I don't believe is biblically correct? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes we make a decision not to do something like that because we don't want to be labeled as endorsing a lifestyle we don't agree with. But I've always looked at it this way, Bill. Is this a hill to die on? Is this a hill God's called me to bleed on? Or is this a hill that I shouldn't be climbing at all? In other words, do now I have in my family people who um, are living that kind of lifestyle. Um, so I haven't disowned them. I love them in Christ. They know exactly how I stand. So would I go to the wedding? I probably would. But it's only because they know how I stand on the issue, but I'm just demonstrating my unconditional love for them. And um, so I'm not going to stand up and make a pronouncement at that wedding about what I believe, but the fact of the matter is I'm not going to allow that to prevent a, a, to provide a barrier for further conversation um, that may happen after that. Mm-hmm. I right. think he listened to Guy's talk when we did this question. Did, did that sound similar? Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very good. Very similar to what we Well, you think about. of it this way. Jesus got in trouble because who did he go eat with? Tax collectors and sinners, mm-hmm. you know. People criticized him because the Pharisee's attitude was total separation. Did Jesus ever sin doing those things? No, he didn't. But he went there in his presence, and he often had an opportunity to say something. I agree, Greg. We we don't want to ever burn the bridge with people. What we want to do is be able to cross the bridge on Jesus' terms, not on just their terms or our terms. All right, here's a softball question. Why does Christianity have so many different denominations? What are the differences? I'm a Lutheran. Should I not talk to a Catholic? <laughs> well, I, being a Lutheran, I, I think you should talk with everybody, quite frankly. <laughs> Just know the bottom line is, if you take Lutheranism, Methodism, Presbyterian, 
Roman Catholic. If you get down to the brass tacks, all of them claim Jesus is Lord and God and Savior who rose from the dead. Okay. Now, there's going to be lots of differences beyond that, and there's going to be issues. But I'm with Greg. What hill do we want to die on? Mm-hmm. I want to die on the hill of who Jesus is and yeah. what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, when I talk to priests, when I talk to Roman Catholics, when I talk to Pentecostals, when I talk to, it doesn't matter who, I want to listen to what they have to say. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything. It doesn't mean I'm going to participate, you know, everything that they want to do. But I am going to respect them and listen to them. And the reason we have so many different denominations is because we have people that get focused on one aspect of Scripture, and then they seem to run their whole life by that, and it becomes almost a denominational issue. And it's a shame. I have a close friend, uh, a godly individual, who does not refer to himself as a Christian because of the connotation that it now has in many uh, venues. He calls himself a follower of Christ. Hmm. So he doesn't identify, even That's though... That's what Christian means, by the way, right? Yeah, a follower yeah, of Christ. A follower so, of Christ. Yeah, okay. So he doesn't say, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a Lutheran, or I I'm, I'm belong to Converge, or, or whatever. He says, I'm a follower of Christ. And when he's pressed to say, well, what's your denominational background? Well, I'm, I'm associating with this for these reasons, but that doesn't mean I always will, depending on if they stay true to God's word. That's why I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. There, there are In history, I think there's two reasons why we have so many splits in denominations. Um, I think first, by the way, let's establish the, the truth that there's one church. Mm-hmm. There's one people of God, right? There's, there's you. You are either born again and a believer, and and are part of God's church, of which Christ is the head, or you're not. Now, man has developed denominations. People have gathered themselves together in groups of people who think like-minded or have uh, similar interpretations of passages of Scripture and so on. Um, they're they're all Christian as long as Tom, what you were saying earlier, that they they understand the true Christ, that He's God in the flesh. He came, born of a virgin, died for the sins of the world, and rose again. Right? If you believe that, that's the true gospel. So you're a believer, you're a Christian, you're in the true Church of of God. Sometimes people have gotten uh, led astray by by ancillary issues, side issues, and then have focused on those and said, unless you believe this, we can't have any fellowship with you, and have divided off and created a new denomination. And that's some of the explanations. But some of the explanations is the the group that you were in, the denomination you were in, went astray of the Word of God. They abandoned the truth of God's Word. They abandoned the core teachings of Scripture. And some said, hey, we no longer want to be associated with this group, so we are going to break away and start a a new denomination. I would argue that second description is a very valid reason. Mm -hmm. If you are in a denomination or a group of believers that is strained from the Word of God, well then, yes, if you can't reform it, separate yourself from it and find people who are willing to stick to the truth of God's Word. Well, and that's why we have the creeds. You know, the creeds, the the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, the one in in Corinthians that Paul uses, they are the focus point for all believers. If we can't focus and agree on that, then we have nothing to focus on, because then we're going to be off on all the other things. Who is Jesus? Who is God the Father? Who is God the Holy Spirit? What's the basis of salvation? Apart from that, things will vary. And they do. Mm-hmm. One, when I was young in the Lord, um, a man took me under his wing and discipled me on those very things where um, 
talked about the, who Jesus was, what the, the Bible, the importance of prayer, fellowship. So I got a basic disciple. Over a year he spent with me. I had to memorize scripture. I had outlined sermons. I had to keep a prayer list. And so it gave me the foundation I needed. I don't see a lot of that happening today. And so it's no wonder that we have people who are followers of Christ, but yet ignorant of the beliefs. Yes. And so um, having those basic foundations which you just described is important to establish a foundation so that we can stand on something solid and reach out to others with the gospel. There's no unity unless that unity is in truth. It's got to be based on truth. You can't just disagree about so many different doctrines. My core list of essential Christian doctrines has 20 items on it. Now, I think, you know, you rattled off about five or six or whatever. Mine personally has about 20 things that are my foundation of uh, a core truth of, of the New Testament. Nicely done, gentlemen. Can you believe that is already the end of hour one? Wow. wow. I talk. But here's the good news. We do hour two. Yes. In about four or five minutes, we're going to start it again. Keep your questions coming. Now, some of you uh, sent in questions in hour one. I really hope you can continue to listen because that's going to what's going to lead off hour two. Because I didn't get to all your questions, but uh, keep them coming. 877-933-2484. You should really uh, sign up for the verse of the day, too. It's really a lovely thing. It's a beautiful graphic scripture verse, and it's sent right to your email Inbox. You can sign up for that at MyFaithRadio.com. Helps you grow in your faith and keeps God's Word right in front of you at all times. All right, we'll be right back with Hour 2 of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.